if you studied as much as you watch Star Trek, <laughs> you would really go places. And I'm like, well, I am getting paid to write Star Trek now. That's amazing. <laughs> that shows you, Mom. <laughs> Captain's Pod, Starday 8019 23.1. Welcome aboard Starship Enterprise and thank you for joining us as we take a brief shore leave from the world of cinema sins to explore the universe of Star Trek. I'm your Captain Ian and with me as always, she will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to her own. It's Ambassador Danae. Mm-hmm. I like playing with my food. Oh, I guess the Borg do do that, don't they? That's gross. Yeah. <laughs> and joining us this week, he's the man who looked at the Battle of Wolf 359 and thought, you know what could be darker? It's Dave Ellis. <laughs> yes, every, everything can be a little darker. Everything could be a little bit darker. Hello, sir, and welcome aboard the Synterprise. Well, thank you for having me. I'm more than happy to. Now, the internet says that you are a writer, short filmmaker, video game writer, and general Star Trek fanatic. Did I miss anything off the list? No, that, that, that covers the top of the list. Also, arcade game collector. Pinball mm, machine. That's, there's not, I, I, I want to say there's not many of those out there. I don't think I've met any. There's, there's more than you think. <laughs> I know Commodore <laughs> Dicer fancies himself as one. He would love to be an arcade game um, collector, but hasn't quite committed to the tricky part, which is purchasing them. <laughs> is it the tricky part purchasing or is the tricky part having the space for them? Mm, or is it finding them in the first place? Well, find, finding them is easy now with the internet. I, I started when I was, it was like 1998, so pre-internet. Um, but um, the, the, the avid collector will tell you that what you do is you buy it and then you figure out where you're going to put it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> like, oh, I want that thing. I'll buy it. Oh, I got to put it somewhere now. That's oh, well. what I did with my ships. That's exactly the same method I use. I bought them all and then figured it out later and realized I had to dismantle the shelf. That's so true. But can so you true. imagine if so you had to dismantle a shelf and your collection fits on a wall. Mm -hmm. A pinball machine collection needs to fit into a, like an entire room. Well, yeah, with that attitude or it does. Or a basement. I could, I could absolutely fit a pinball machine in that corner. No, One. you couldn't, though. Yes, I could. No, you couldn't. Lose this desk. No. Just this, the left side that I only use for Funko Pops. Lose that. Block the window off. At least two arcade <laughs> machines. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this is, I see your point. Okay. This is, this is right. how Starfleet won the war. It's that kind of, that kind of thinking. Well, mm -hmm. we've abducted you to um, talk about your award-winning short film, 359. But before we get into that, what got you into Star Trek? How did Star Trek find you? How did you find it? Um, give us your Star Trek origin story. Okay, so I am what you would officially call an old. <laughs> an oldie? Um, and yeah, I, um, I was seven years old, and this would have been 1972. I went down to a friend's house to play, and when I got to his house, he said, we'll play in an hour. Star Trek is coming on. Uh, we're going to watch. I, I want to watch Star Trek first. And I said, what's Star Trek? And he's like, it's a really cool space show. I think you'll like it. Wow. That's a great start. So I sat down and watched it. The first episode I saw was original series, the Galileo seven. Oh, was great episode. episode a lot of Spock. When, when it was over, I didn't stay at my friend Michael's house. I left and ran up the street 
back to my house and I was like, Mom, Dad, there is this cool television show called Star Trek. Oh, that's awesome. And, and you know, 52 years later... <laughs> Wow. You're still running down the street, just You're knocking right. on everyone's door. Yeah. Hey, you got to hear it about was, this Star Trek thing. It was really funny because um, it was maybe a year or two ago that I that I found my friend Michael, who I hadn't seen since I moved out of my parents' house. I mm. uh, found him on Facebook, and I friended him on Facebook, and I was like, "You need to know what you started." <laughs> that's that is fascinating being able to pin it on one person that's I that's mean, I really just, fun I, that is one of my clearest childhood memories the first time i ever watched star trek that's, that's awesome that's a really fun episode as well that's um that's spock is kind of taking a commanding role and has a lot of different personalities to deal with and it's it's a great it's probably one of the first hey don't get in the shuttle because it's going to crash episodes it kind of started that trend of the enterprise's shuttles are doomed to crash i think it was the first of three times that the galileo the original galileo was destroyed yes <laughs> it's like voyager how many shuttles did they have because they blew up a lot of them and and seemed to still I have always, a full complement. I, I always thought that maybe they uh, just confused the number of photon torpedoes they yes. said they had in the number of shuttles because they probably <laughs> That they fired hundreds of photon torpedoes, not 38, but they probably destroyed about 38 shuttles. Yeah, I think that's probably spot on, man. What an amazing thing to specify in episode one and then completely ignore across the next seven years. Amazing. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm watching the, the preview of that episode on the other screen right now just to kind of see what you watched. You know what? That would be a good... Like, you haven't seen any TOS, have you? That would be a good no. place to go because you love Spock so much. Did somebody get speared? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, a red shirt gets speared like right in the chest. Uh, it's a yellow shirt. But oh, okay. Fair enough. Is it, it It looks like a caveman type person. Just speared yeah. him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And Lower Decks kind of, kind of does a send up of it when they, I can't remember what episode it is, but they land on a planet and someone gets stabbed with a diamond crystal spear. And Mariner is like, don't worry, it's the future. Nobody's going to die from a spear. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, kind of does in TOS. That's amazing. But you're right. I think some TOS episodes should definitely be something that we consider doing soon. Because I haven't, I don't think I've ever seen any episode oh, of TOS. Oh, man. I don't even know where to begin. It would be. Probably with this one. Yeah, we'll just start with that. It's Spock heavy. We'll pull a Dave. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It worked for me. <laughs> yeah. No pressure, by the way, but it worked on Dave. It should should absolutely work on you. <laughs> well, other than the Galileo 7, and before we get into the, the craziness that is making a short film, um, what would be your favorite episode of Star Trek? If you, out of the hundreds of examples. What a terrible you had question. To, no, everybody has one. It's very, it's. It's difficult across, I mean, considering how many series there are now, but mm -hmm. if I have to nail down one in the pale moonlight. Mm, great choice. Yeah. And again, there I go being dark again, but that, what, that is yeah, I could have guessed that one, the actually. darkest Star Trek episodes. It's one that I really want to show the ambassador, but she needs a, a bit more Deep Space Nine context, I think, before we get into it, because you may come out of it hating Cisco as much as you hate Jadzia. And I can't ruin two characters from Deep Space Nine. 
but you can. so comprehensively. But you can. It's part of the great experiment. What happens if you just bring your friend along for a Star Trek <laughs> journey and just chuck everything at her? What yeah. happens then? I've learned some great lessons. I truly have. <laughs> it's, it, it's actually an interesting question. The, the, what what episode do you start somebody on? Because that is it, is. it gets harder all the time. Yeah. I, I recently um, got uh, Sarah Johnson, who's in my movie. She hmm. was uh, um, Ensign Boyd. Um, she was over to watch the film when we when when I first released or right before I first released it, I showed it to the cast. And we were talking to her and she's in she's a, like a professional level cosplay. Oh, that's and awesome. She has not she watched some Star Trek with her dad growing up, mostly next generation and onward. Um, but we were talking about the new shows, and I and and my wife and I were sitting there with her and was like, you know what? Cosplay in Star Trek, she would love the Elysian Kingdom. In, oh, absolutely! Uh, season one of uh, Strange New Worlds. Yeah. So we showed her that, and she was on the edge of her seat, smiling from ear to ear the whole time. And when it was over, she's like, "Well, what if I want to see the whole season now?" <laughs> it's like, right there. Yeah, yeah. I addicted somebody to Star Trek. I've done my job. But she she went out and she bought it on Blu-ray. Oh, And amazing. then she went and sat down with her dad to watch the new Star Trek oh. with her dad. You know, that's you know, awesome. So she, that's she, really she's funny. so excited. She got so excited about it. It was really cool. I think that's a really great answer to the question is it, you have to tailor it to the person that you're introducing the show to. Like there is no one answer. It genre hops so much. There really is something for everybody. So yeah, I don't, I don't think there's one answer other than no, there isn't. There isn't, there isn't one answer. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. Yeah, a friend of mine um, that I worked with um, said, I've never watched Star Trek before, and you're really into Star Trek, and I'd like to get into Star Trek. Could you make me a list of episodes that I should watch? And I'm like, oh, yes, I will accept that mission. Mm. It was 11 pages long. <laughs> <laughs> because, because you did all I, of them in order. I tried to weed out the really bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there, I, I mean, when you look, when I looked back, at, like it shows like Enterprise, where I really didn't think a lot about the uh, about the episodes and the quality of the episodes until I went back through a list of the episodes of Enterprise. I it was like, and I'm like, oh no, that one's good. Yeah, she should see, she uh -huh. should see that. One. I think there were 120 some episodes of Enterprise. My list was 93. <laughs> Honestly, like that. That of all of the Star Trek series, it's one of the ones that benefits from a rewatch the most. And that's why I think in the last kind of five years, it's had its resurgence. And if you ignore the finale, it is in and of itself a really solid Star Trek series. I will forever be baffled why. I think we just, it was oversaturated. I think there was too much sci fi out at the time. There was definitely too much Star Trek. Um, so yeah, I think it just, it, it, it had the wrong wrong time for it sadly but let's get into your your lovely mood i have a question Blake, go for it yeah i, I want to know when did you know you wanted to make a fan film like that's actually a good a good question a good way to get into this because i i didn't know that star trek fan films existed mm. for the longest time um and I, I guess you know with 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 youtube and everything they're they're a lot more findable now than they used to be but the thing that brought it to my attention when i was i i, I was doing um designing and writing uh one of the video games that i worked on it was a pac-man game based on the tv it was based on the uh tv show which is you know came and went in like two seasons that's amazing but one of the people who did the voice uh, voice acting for that um 
created a web series called Star Trek Continues. Oh, and yes. Star Trek, I know it well. Have you watched any of that? Yeah, uh, I've it's, seen all of it, I think. Yeah, the, all, those those are very much worth watching. I mean, if you like TOS, because it finishes the five-year music. Yeah, and just the set design and the quality of it is... It's kind of cheating to call it a fan film, fan production, because it's so up there. Yeah, that was that was before the fan film rules when you could mm-hmm. make full length episodes, you could crowdfund. They 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 made those episodes probably on a budget that was not dissimilar to the original series, but in the two thousands, yeah. which is a, which is cheap mm-hmm. um, for our series today, anyway. Um, but anyway, he. Uh, told, uh, he, I got it. I always looked up a voice actor's IMDb before I, you know, before I would work with them, you know, before the recording session. So I, I looked it up and I was like, Star Trek continues. And then I started watching it and I, you know, we talked about Star Trek for about a half hour hijacked part of the VO session. Mm-hmm. Talking about mm-hmm. Of course. And it turns out that they shot that about six hours South of where I live in uh, Kingsland, Georgia. That's where the sets are. Awesome. And, I was invited down there to watch them shoot episode seven. Oh, um, that's amazing! And then my friend and I were invited back for the the when they were shooting the last three episodes. So we, I was there for a couple of weekends watching them. And for me, I, I studied film and television in college, and I mm. made college films, but never really went anywhere with it. And for me, being somebody who comes from a filmmaking background and somebody who is that into star trek being on the original enterprise for a weekend oh my goodness was the star trek nerd thing that uh-huh. i mean that was such a great star trek nerd thing but being there while they were shooting and watching how they shot it and how they how they set up every shot and did, you know did all the coverage and everything i learned so much about filmmaking there and i was like i you know, think maybe i want to make a star trek fan film sometime That's and that, amazing. that was when i started digging into it and found that there were a lot of star trek fan films out there and so you studied filmmaking like in college then? Yep. And when you decided to do that was part of your inspiration because you were watching content growing up that you're like, I want to get involved in that somehow? Or was it like, like what made you passionate about that for going into college? Well, what was it? It, it was uh, mid eighties or early eighties. Um, and I went in, uh, I went in with a, uh, an intention of becoming a computer program and found out in very short order that i suck at computer programming (laughs) (laughs) to be fair 80s computer programming is very different to today's computer programming it it was it was different then and you know i i found in the since then that i can do it but it's not something that my brain is tuned to Mm -hmm. it takes a lot out of me to program um so well and plus i am terrible 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 at math <laughs> and and i was flunking my calculus class i'm like i don't know why i need the calculus class to program i don't and it's like well it teaches you logic and i'm like it's not teaching me anything because i can't <laughs> learn math. it's teaching me i hate um, math so i i left that major and i was like i don't know what i want to do and they had a film and television program at the college where i went and i figured yeah i'll try that and I got into a, a an intro to filmmaking class and realized I really like creating things um, behind the camera more than on the camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I um, uh, the I, I like to I like I like shooting. You know, I like the camera work. I liked you know all of the studio stuff, but mostly what I liked was writing. Mm. And that's kind of how I moved into a writing sort of career. 
That's fun. I love that. I like whenever you sort of accidental yourself into a direction that emphasizes something that you do really naturally well. Mm-hmm. So you you studied that and then you have this exposure later on to a connection to like a fan based filmmaking kind of world. And then you're like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> How long from the moment that you saw the fan fiction sort of in per- or the fan fiction, the fan film in person, like being created and then you're like, I want to do this until you actually started that project. Was it quick or did it take time? No, I tend to drag my feet on things. I, <laughs> what I, what I do, what I do now um, for a living is I'm a marketing writer. So I write, you know, video and animation scripts for marketing videos and and you know websites and things like and when you write all day for a living it's really hard to put that down and then open up (laughs) open up the script writing software and then write something for fun yeah write more now i just don't want to do i don't want to write yeah we understand Uh, that (laughs) yeah but um but yeah i uh i dragged my feet for quite a while i um and this will this this will like start getting into into your uh question, Ian, uh, about how I started the, the 359. So um, after Star Trek Continues wrapped, uh, the the studio or the sets were sold to another person who now runs them as Neutral Zone Studios. And for $400 a day, which is crazy cheap, you can rent those studio that you can rent the original Star Trek. That's set, incredible. Um, and shoot there. And I and I was like, well, that's what I want to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot a film at neutral zone. I'd rent and, that and just not shoot. I would just sit there all day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, what, between shots, when uh-huh. I was down there for Star Trek Continues, I had you know I had the visitors badge, and um, they were like, yeah, go anywhere you want. Press some so buttons. They, yeah, they're they're sh- they're shooting on the. Uh, they had a uh, at the time they had a planet set and everything, yeah. as well as the ship, Ugh. and they were shooting on the planet. And I would like, I wander down yep. to the bridge. I'll be taking and lunch was, in the captain's chair. I'm sitting in the captain's chair, oh. and it was like, and I was th- I was thinking the same thing. I would rent this place to play Star Trek for a day. Yeah, absolutely. Or, just you and your buddies. Yeah. Just- no, screw that. Just me. <laughs> I'll man all the stations. <laughs> But yeah, I I, sh- I wrote a I wrote a script uh, that was a uh, original um, original series era script, mm. and I had I had it all ready to to go. Uh, I was getting the the cast together. I got my crew together, and we were going to go down there and rent the place for four days. It was for fifteen minutes. I figured four days would probably be enough. And this was this would have been March of 20 what is it 2019 when the, don't when, say 2020. 2020 2020 it was march of 2020 oh they shut, no they shut down everything so oh uh, no of course they did so yeah the the we pumped the brakes on that and you know for a year and a half we lived in purgatory and purgatory on zoom mm-hmm. and so which brings us to 359 <laughs> That makes that yeah. makes sense because the most obvious thing about three five nine is that it isn't TOS. <laughs> it's very much TNG. Oh, uh, so it is. You yeah. pivoted into TNG out of necessity, really, because that was, I'm guessing, something you could do from home a little bit easier. Exactly. I the the original idea was that I could. I was I was sitting there like, well, I don't want to wait another three years, mm. dragging my feet until I get 
you know, get my act together and, and go down and shoot something. What could I shoot remotely? Mm. And I was like, well, if I bought a green screen and I would send it around to my actors, they could shoot with their, with their phones in their, in their houses. And we could do a green screen thing. And I'm like, well, what, what would make sense with nobody in the same room? I'm like, well, subspace communications. So why would, why would people be sitting alone somewhere and need to talk to each other over subspace and couldn't interact? Oh, escape pods at Wolf 359. Yeah. It's, it's a great idea. Yeah. And it's so instantly recognizable. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it's a cool, it's a cool area to explore because you know, you you see a little bit of that aftermath of what happened at three five nine with you know at the at the beginning of uh, mm. Deep Space Nine. Um, it it was funny that the uh, the episode of Picard where Shaw describes what happened to him at three five well three five nine was like two weeks before I released three five nine and I and I turned and I turned to my wife and I was like holy shit my movie just got more relevant. Yes. <laughs> yes! Yes, that's amazing. <laughs> My goodness. Imagine if you accidentally called a character Shaw. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but it was a, a, it was an interesting way. It was an interesting thing to explore the aftermath mm. of that battle. And it made perfect sense for what I wanted to do. And then, of course, my feet dragging came into play again. I wrote the script. Uh, when I when I have an idea for something, I can use it. It takes me forever to think of the idea. But once I've got it, I can write the script yeah. in a couple of mm-hmm. days, but I, I was tweaking it and tweaking it and, you know, just kind of dragging my feet, fig, trying to figure out how I'm going to get the green screen to everybody and how I'm going to deal with sound differences and mm-hmm. you know, yeah. video differences, lighting differences. And by the time I, I muddled through all of that, all of the uh, pandemic restrictions were lifted. <laughs> So I bought myself a really good green screen kit and set it up in my garage. So we had we shot. Oh, that's great! Perfect. See, this is why sometimes procrastinating is the best. It is. I think the quality the quality was better because I was able to control the lighting. I was able. Yeah, to absolutely. Although you, I mean, I could imagine a world where you explain it away by like power systems fluctuating on the different pods. So you might be able to get away with different lighting based on the class of the shuttle maybe i like i think if we were sinning it we would probably we'd probably call that argumentative (laughs) we we should say real quickly that we're going to discuss the contents of the film um but we're going to try not to give away spoilers and when we get to the ending of it we're going to give a little bit of an announcement to you guys so that you can if you don't want to know how the short film ends you can skip the spoiler part of today's episode but we do want to discuss it so mm. but we're not gonna and we're not gonna be sending it we're no not we're definitely not it. we're not that we're not that cruel well before <laughs> we get any deeper give us a quick synopsis of the kind of spoiler three Me? free sy- not you <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes yes oh, i'm asking yes. do the synopsis oh god <laughs> uh, in today's episode <laughs> we learned that pods are cubicle and that they spin, okay? And sickness is a problem sometimes, but don't worry. Friends will find each other somehow. Will finding each other help them survive the voids of space and the lurking enemies? Dun, dun, dun! I think that's a great oh, okay. synopsis. There we go. That's the synopsis. That was it. Yep. Because I can't give away spoilers, so that was a terrible synopsis. It was a great spoiler-free synopsis. I, it, when, I, when I made a trailer for, you know, for a 15-minute film, I made a one-minute trailer. I'm like, can't be anything but a teaser trailer or the you know you know a 15th of the 
story will be given away. <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> that teaser trailer is really fun because that's the one with like it's just the the self-space communications, isn't it? And basically all you learn from it is that this is the Battle of Wolf 359, and then there are survivors. Perfect setup. That's that's I really, really love that teaser. And it gives you just just what you need. Um, so how did you find your crew and your cast? Well, um, the first, the first person I cast was my, was my friend, Sarah, who was Ensign Boyd. Um, I worked, I worked with her for years at the ad agency where I worked and, um, she, (laughs) she was the first one I cast because there's a scene where she, you know, comes back in from a subspace, you know, when, when everybody else is talking on subspace and she's solving a riddle because they were playing a riddle Mm. game. She Mm -hmm. had and she pops in and she's like all all gushing with the, oh, I got the answer. And she's really happy and like just going, you know, going a, a, a mile a minute. And uh, and I was like, when I was writing that, I was like, oh, Sarah would be perfect for this. I wonder if she acts. That's amazing. So, so I, so I you know, I texted her and I was like, this is going to sound weird, but have you ever been in a movie or aspired to be in a movie? <laughs> Which would be a creepy <laughs> question if she didn't know yes. me. Yes. Oh, that's, right. yeah. uh-huh. that's right. That's <laughs> right. Um, but I, I was like, the reason I ask is I got this part that in the Star Trek film, and and I really would I think you're perfect for it. And she, it turns out she did do some acting, uh, when she was in high school, and she was like, yeah, I'd love to do it. Um, oh, so I got awesome. her. Um, my friend Doug was the second one I cast, and he's uh, he's uh, the uh, engineering chief. Chief, absolutely Frazier. love him. It's the perfect <laughs> grumpy engineer. Just he's so much fun. <laughs> Well, Doug, Doug was a good choice because for two reasons. One, he well, multiple reasons. He's he's really into Star Trek. Um, he was really enthusiastic to do it. Plus, he's one of my older friends, mm-hmm. and I needed an yes. older person for that part <laughs> than the other parts. So I got Doug, and then Adam, uh, who who played uh, Commander Zahn, he 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 and his wife played the other two parts. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam, I worked with, he was another writer that I worked with at the ad agency and his wife and his wife is a, a theater person. So he's like, yeah, you know, Sarah can play that part. So he has an incredible kind of captain energy and charisma about him, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he does. And um, I, yeah, I, I needed that kind of person who younger guy who can take charge, who's a higher rank than the, than chief Frazier, Who's an older guy who's like, you know, I, you know, yeah, you outrank me, but I've been through it. So I, yeah, yep. I was at set like three, my friend. <laughs> I know my stuff. I earned this t shirt. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's no small feat to get to know a group of people enough to empathize with them in 15 minutes. Like that's that's not a small undertaking. How did you how did you get around doing that? Which I think you've succeeded in, to be honest. Well, like I said, I I I think that people are sometimes disappointed in, when I explain how I write something because, like I said, it once the idea was there, I just wrote it and I knew what the, who the characters were, and and this this part sounds crazy to people who <laughs> who don't who aren't you know familiar with writing or at least my writing process Mm -hmm. once i know the characters in my head i can say i can think well okay here you are in this situation what do you have to say and then i just write down what they say yeah Mm. did you give the acting team like just sort of like a background of their character or was it largely them reading the script and kind of bringing to life the character i hope each one has a novel 
the is just their entire history we didn't see. Right. Yeah, the whole whole bookshelf next to me. Yes. The, the history of all these people. Exactly. I went a little overboard on my D and D campaign whenever I was creating characters with my friends. Like literally, just over here, I have a book that I made of each of them, where we got together and we're just writing down all these details, and then that like that became. It. But that's a little different, obviously, because in D and D, you're coming to the table to embody a character week after week after week after week after week. So it's a little bit different, but um, yeah, I was just kind of curious, like when you handed the script and the story to these individuals, like what was it like to watch them learn their character and absorb it and then bring it to life? Um, it was, it was really cool. And I, and, and I've, you know, I've, I found that I'm really lucky to have people who can act, but they, but they were all good at that. And I, I gave them each a description of their character, like a, just a couple of sentences about what, who they were. And I was like, familiarize yourself with, uh, best of both worlds part one and two so you know something about the battle of wolf 359 and it's and it was just basically like you're all you're each out here you're trapped in an escape pod alone and you're finding each other and cooperating from a distance and that's pretty much all that i gave them and they yeah and uh, you know the just the the little personality traits like it, we're in the we're in the character descriptions like i mm -hmm. you know told doug you know chief Chief Frazier's grumpy. He thinks he should be yeah. in power, but he's really the lowest ranked person there. But <laughs> Pip crossover Scotty and O'Brien, and you basically you that's that's what you've got there. He's so yeah, and and you know, Sarah, I was like, Sarah, you're the you know the, the least Sarah Johnson. You're the, the the least experienced here. So you're trying to be a professional. You're happy to be with people again, to have somebody to have kind of a command structure, and you fall into that. But you're always on the edge of that. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I got that vibe. And um, and then you know, with with Adam, it was just like, yeah, well, Zon Zon is a guy who's trying to trying to reel in all of these very different personalities and be it creates some kind of a structure so everybody can work together under the situation mm -hmm. that they're in so i mean that yeah. that's really all i gave them and they they just ran with it they were they were super good at it yeah i think they did a great great job now i found out about fan films through all of the controversy a few years ago with paramount being very specific with what they won't strike down as a fan film because prior to that you could even have previous star trek actors appear like tim tim russ has done quite a few um fan productions as has um uh the actor that plays Chekhov, whose name is escaping me walter keenig thank you um yeah he's done a few as well um and then paramount came in and said hey stop that here's the rules that you can go by did that put you off at all? Did did you stick to that kind of Bible really closely? What was that process like? Well, the, the rules were in place when I wrote even that first script that I was mm. telling you about. Um, they, they had just come into being. Uh, as, the, as Star Trek Continues was ending, they, got, they had to get special dispensation from Paramount to mm -hmm. finish the last three episodes. Wow. Because they, they were doing 50-minute episodes. <laughs> Oh yeah, full, you know, TOS full, full, on, full on TOS episodes, and they they had always had a very open relationship with Paramount, um, and they were very you know yeah told them what they were doing all at all times, mm -hmm. and Paramount was like yeah cool just finish it fast because <laughs> we've got to lock this down because we're not having you held up as a precedent. Yeah, the story mm. the story I mean the 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 brief story behind that was that somebody was making a there there's a. There's a really cool 20-minute 
documentary style film called Prelude to Axanar, which mm-hmm. is just bonkers good. And it came out, I think, eight years ago now, eight or nine years ago now. And they used that to fund what was going to be a full length Axanar uh, mm-hmm. motion picture. And when they started promoting that, the creator of that was like, this is this was around the time, I think, I don't remember if it was Into Darkness or uh, or Star Trek Beyond that was about to come out. And yeah, I think he it was, was around Beyond. On, yeah, he was he was online saying we're making the Star Trek film that the Star Trek fans want, and this is going to be so much better than what Paramount's making. And that's when Paramount was like, Nope. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> nope. We've nope. been really cool with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but get ready to get beamed off. But I'm not going to do that know, anymore. <laughs> there, there was a lot of. I, I was not one of the people who, who was kind of dismayed at that whole thing that it had to be 15 minutes long. That it had. I, the well, the budget part of it, you can't fund You can't crowdfund more than fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And I'll tell you, I didn't crowdfund three five nine, and it was way less than fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> I'll tell you. Now. But I mean, that's that's kind of cool because it it kind of puts everybody on an even ground. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, quality-wise. And it's not like, well, Hmm. at least until recently, I didn't think it was a big competition (laughs) for who's the the best fan filmmaker. Yeah. Um, But, um, yeah, I I wasn't put off by the the length of the stories because you can tell a really good story in 15 minutes. You you can, I mean, if you've got unlimited amount of time, you can overwrite and it just gets big and bogged down in Mm -hmm. itself. Yeah. And it was it was interesting that around that same time uh, that the that, that everybody was playing by these fan film rules, they started doing short treks in, in mm. between the seasons of Discovery, mm-hmm. which were between eight and twenty minutes long. Loads of fun, really good stories that they just told quick, and it was yeah. done. And it and, and I was like, yeah, I think that's more of a I saw it as more of a challenge than a restriction mm-hmm. because you can tell you can tell a great story in that amount of time and wrap it up and. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're willing to go dark. I mean yeah. I mean you can you can see why Paramount doesn't wouldn't have a problem with Star Trek continues because the production value is so high. Like basically they're pushing the brand forward and Paramount doesn't have to pay a single dime to do it and it looks incredible. I think there's an element of Paramount wanting to protect themselves. It's not all money grabbing. They want to protect themselves from the brand becoming diluted as well. It's a really complicated situation to get into. Even Axanar itself, I know, had some controversies around the crowdfunding and stuff like that. So I'd recommend everybody do a bit of research into that one. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't talk about it too much in a public way because, like I said, I until recently I didn't know exactly how much infighting there was within the Star Trek fan film community. I had no mm. idea. Yeah. And I'm like, why? We're all, I mean, <laughs> ostensibly we're in this because we love Star Trek and we want to express our own little story within the Star mm-hmm. Trek yeah. sandbox. You got the film all finished, wrapped up, was putting it out there, and then the awards stuff came around. So had you heard of these awards? Um, this is where my knowledge is a little bit lacking. Um, but you were nominated for seven and won five. So how did, how did all of that come about? Um, well... When I, I guess it was probably a week after I released the trailer, um, I got contacted by a uh, 
an Australian uh, podcast called Trek Zone. And they're like, we've never heard of you. We cover all the fan films and we've never heard of you. You just, oh, you kind just came of out of nowhere. Out <laughs> and we saw this and we're intrigued. So I so I was interviewed on that podcast right after the trailer came out. And it turned and I didn't know at the time that they did every year that they did a uh, the the Trek Zone fan film awards. Mm. And um, what they do is they they basically allow or they they take all the fan films that were made. And I think there were 59 of them last year. Wow. Um, wow. One year. That's incredible. Um, and they, they just like make a database of those. And then they they watch they watch them all. And they yeah, have they had their uh, I think it's 14 categories. And um, then they they pick the top the top four out of every category and then, you know, you do the awards and and it was when when the nominations came out i was like this this is nuts that's that incredible I, I this is like the first the first movie i've made in over 30 years <laughs> and i just came <laughs> out of nowhere to do this just do it for fun and it's like and you think i'm worthy of these awards i'm like that's that's nice that's, <laughs> that's amazing and that's pretty humbling <laughs> that's really when really you're fun. recognized for it you know because like you went through the process of how how the process of putting it together, I mean, that takes a lot of time. Then the editing of it all takes time. And because the, the entire thing has all this production to it, there's it's not just a simple green screen lighting and then sound. You had like a uh, sound design in there. There was even like some um, like the graphics design because there's a moment where in the upper left hand, there's like a computer, like a scanner that comes up. Mm -hmm. um, like, is that something that you created? Well, how because i was just looking at it, i'm like this is so thought through there's there's cgi stuff going there's just all this stuff that's going on so you know it's nice to to know that someone watched that and saw all of it and recognized that it was mm -hmm. valuable i must have felt really nice because you can tell that really you've got did. work into it um yeah they it was it was interesting when i when i first set out the shoot the thing I, I it was going to be all interior i wasn't going to do any exterior shots at all because i don't i don't mm -hmm. know well, I, I know 3d artists but they're all working and they they never have time they wouldn't have time to like yeah create that's, a, that's right. an in-demand profession right animations. now and um i wasn't i wasn't planning on doing that but i did need somebody to do the interiors of all the escape mm. Mm -hmm. right and because you know that's a digital background too and uh, I, through my connections in fan in fan films th that I had up to that up to that time, I contacted a uh, a guy uh, named Samuel Cockings who lives in the UK, and he does CG for a lot of Star Trek fan films, and he has a whole uh, library of 3D models that he has available. And I, um, I mean, I, I was like, I contacted him at first, and I was like, well, Sam, I just need for escape pod interiors he's like well i got some a few different ones and he showed them to me and we did some variations in color and background so that they all look like a different place mm. and uh, he's like so i've read your script and he's like you know you could you should maybe think of doing some exteriors and i'm like I don't want to <laughs> and he's like well you know i've got some escape pods it's like i got some ships you know that we could put out there from wolf 359 like in the mm. you know well I mean, it's it started out. I was like, okay, well, I'll do one transition shot where the pods are together, mm -hmm. and he's like, well, we could do like an intro shot, and I was like, well, yeah, an intro shot where the pods tumbling through the uh, debris field, 
Yeah. And then I was like, well, do you have a Borg sphere? <laughs> that and show I love, is great. I love, how, I love how you start with something like, just like a little simple interior. How about a Borg ship? <laughs> Give me the Borg. And it, That's yeah, a great show. Luckily, his answers were yes to all of those things. Mm. So, so, uh, Amazing. So he, so he did those for me um, and uh, for, for a very reasonable cost, considering the quality that he, mm. he gave me. Um, and yeah, he did all my interiors. And then as far as the 2d stuff, I could not find anybody to do the 2d L cars displays, but the nice thing about the internet <laughs> is that mm -hmm. there are sites like all my sound effects, for instance, came from a, a site that is a soundboard of just about every isolated Star Trek sound effect from TOS through That's amazing. Voyager. Is that the Trekcore one? Um, it I may think be. Trekcore have that. It's one that I've used for the pod, and it's just—it's brilliant. It's so yeah, it's so good. Great. It has everything. Um, so I got all my sound effects from there, and I found a site that, where somebody had recreated all of all of the Elcars displays that you ever see animated wow. close up. And I just, you know, so I wasn't making any money off of it and everything. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel too bad about living right. a couple of those, and they they aren't exactly what I would have wanted. But they fit. I found ones that fit well. Enough. Yeah, that's awesome. That's fun. Oh, that's it so, all came so together. It came together so so well. So after the podcast, like interviewed you and 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 everything, how quickly until there there was the voting was like you go on and then you you get the the award and you said how many did you five five did you get yeah. five it was nominated for seven and got five well this is like all this like a season of was it like award season suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they they do their uh, they do their awards in uh, the beginning of july and okay the uh, 359 was released in, so they their their voting period is from july to july and 359 came out in march so oh perfect so it it, it, it was timed nicely yeah absolutely that's amazing. that's amazing well let's quickly slip into some spoilers so if you oh, want to skip ahead at this point unless you have any more Questions, Ambassador. No, I could have, I could, I could ask questions all the time, you know. But <laughs> they're derailing questions because the moment that you ask me to ask a question, I, I just go to chaos beast. So no, you, you, you did, bring, you did bring up sound design, and I that I, I took on a lot of uh, most of the stuff myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, despite the fact that I know sound designers, and when I told one of them that I was doing it myself, he was he kind of <laughs> he kind of laughed at you. Um, but, um, but I, I think it, I think it turned out okay. The, uh, um, yeah. the Final Cut Pro, the editing software that I use yeah. on the Mac is just magical. It, the things yeah. that it can do, I mean, just for editing, well, the editing was, that was the hardest part of the whole movie because mm -hmm. having, having yeah. four different live scene scenes going on at the same time and lining them all up properly and keeping track of where everything needs to be on the screen at any given time. Yeah. Uh, but, but I did the sound design in there and that was, uh, I mean, they, it lets you do surround sound. If you, if you've watched it with surround sound, the, the opening, the opening battle there. Ooh, and like the, all the voices. And when the, and when the Borg come in, 
there from every speaker at once. Oh, my God. That's amazing. That's so intimidating. <laughs> I need to go and put this on my TV. <laughs> but yeah, it, um, the, the sound design was a lot of fun, even though one of the, thing, one of the uh, things that you've got to, uh, that I would advise people who are making a fan film to tell their actors is do what you want to do as far as touching the buttons and, you know, working controls. But keep in mind that every time you touch something, I've got to put a sound on that. Uh That's so true. I didn't think about that. Keep the fingers off screen as much as possible. And and they were, uh, they were, uh, most of them were really good about it. They, they just did what was in the script. Uh, Adam and I gave him a, I gave him a hard time. (laughs) Oh, I bet he just wanted to go ham. (laughs) Don was like touch typing the entire time. It's like, man, so many, so many sound effects. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) But oh, it is, so like fun. what I liked about it is that it 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 never felt like it was the same. It, it wasn't the same sound. It was a really like um. There's, and I've noticed this on when I watch Star Trek because there's different noises that all indicate things, and we noticed this on Strange New Worlds when we watched the first season. I think it was the first sound that you hear or something was from the original series or something. Yeah. And, and it was like, did you hear that? And every sound kind of has a history. Yeah. And, Whenever and you so, hear a boop, 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 it's, it's, oh. yeah. Things so yeah, for they, you, they, to... all have, they all have a function. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. the, an open comm sound, and there's a closed comm sound, and there's a, yep. there's a text scrolling on the screen sound, which yes. I use once in there. Um, <laughs> uh huh. One of the little subtle things, and I don't know if you hear it too much if you're only listening to it through one speaker, but through surround sound, you hear it really well. Every escape pod has a different ambient background. Because oh. yeah, that makes sense. one of the things that I was fighting is that all, all of the action is carried by the edit and all of, you know, anything mm-hmm. that is different between from shot to shot has, I mean, I have to make them as different as possible, even though they're essentially the same shot, every single mm-hmm. shot. Right. And, the cause and effect problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the, um, you know, the changing the background sound and things like that are something that so when you're in Chief Fraser's pod, it sounds a little different than when you're in Zon's pod. Mm, yeah, voice pod. I'll go back. Awesome. I'll, I'll go back and watch it, kind of with that in mind. But I felt like it was really immersive. Um, it wasn't like there. There wasn't like the quiet of like being in an elevator or something, and then just the sort of the silence that was really robust. And I'm, but I'm drawn to sounds. Um, I'm the kind of person that whenever I vacuum, I hum to the frequency of the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Just vases are smashing everywhere as you resonate with the vacuum cleaner. What do you think my vacuum cleaner sounds like? <laughs> 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 it's like an angelic vacuum cleaner. Yes. That's amazing. So anyways, I get really distracted by sounds and I was just really there was just a lot of fun things to think about too so it wasn't just listening to what you wrote which I imagine was kind of fun to do because you know all of the lingo (laughs) yes but the lingo also has to make sense for the world as well which I'm not as familiar with I I guess Ian that's a question I had was that one of the things that you really enjoyed when you watched it because I was enjoying it like oh listen to the techno babble (laughs) oh I love that and even mentioning ships like the Melbourne and the Kyushu brought me straight back to the best of both worlds because you have um commander shelby when the enterprise finally decides to arrive at wolf 359 just lists the ships that have all been destroyed in this really melancholy tone specifically the melbourne because one of picard's friends um the admiral of that the oh what's his name admiral 
Oh, I forgot his name. Well, oh, you just you know all the names. That's amazing. Admiral Hanson. Of course. <laughs> he's commanding the Melbourne, and the Melbourne has been destroyed. So she's just like listening. The Kyushu. The Melbourne. And it's just like this really emotional moment where we know all of these people have died. So I thought it was really smart to slip those ships in. And Zahn is from the Melbourne. He's the commander on there, which leads me to my next question. Is that canon or did you invent the commander on the Melbourne? Oh, I invented him. Yes. <laughs> yeah, all, all, the, all the characters are invented. I mean, there's, That's great. you know, what, you know, between two and five hundred or a thousand yeah, <laughs> people in every yeah. ship. So we, yeah, we could <laughs> never know them all. So there's a, there is one character that you don't see, the, the mm-hmm. fifth character, who is you know, Margaret, yes. who is on the, on the subspace message. Mm. She actually is a character who is mentioned on Star Trek. Oh, that's amazing. Interesting. That's a great little Easter egg. There was a Voyager episode called Infinite Regress, where um, mm. Seven of Nine is going through personalities of people who have been assimilated by the Borg. Oh, oh shit! And one of the genius. people that she was assimilated that, that she that was assimilated was Margaret Bergen, who was going to see her son Gregory. At Wolf three five nine, when she was. Oh my oh god, my god. that's seven. so interesting. Oh, I wondered why you were toying with my emotions so deeply in that moment, <laughs> and now I understand it. I remember that now that you mention it, because Jerry Ryan is like playing this terrified mother that's looking for her son. That well done. That's an awesome little Easter egg. That's fun. <laughs> and the reason that you don't get to see her is my friend Kira played that part, and Kira is is much too young to be. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's it's it it works really really well just having her as a voice yeah. off in the distance. What a cool little fun little loose end to tie up. That's amazing. Well, you mentioned it earlier, but do you have any other tips for anybody that would be making a short film, Star Trek or otherwise? What would your like kind of top tip be? Um, well, I'll give a directing top tip. Um, a lot of a lot of a lot of directing, I think, for Star Trek especially. I, I think people try to play, actors tend to play the parts way over the top, <laughs> or under, or under the top, I guess. If you if you're talking about like a Vulcan, yeah. I've seen people <laughs> who played Vulcans who are just monotone and they just talk like this the whole time. It's like oh, right. you, Spock conveys more emotions than anybody. You yes. just have to listen for it, and you have to understand mm-hmm. the subtlety of how he does it. Um, but the and other also don't uh, go full Shatner. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing is that you go. Damn it, it's the ball. There's got to be a way. It's like, <laughs> my, my God, I can't raise the shields. <laughs> you know, but yeah, you know, that kind of thing. I what my directing as far as what the what the actors did was I was like, this is the situation you're in be you in this situation mm, just yeah. act like you would act in this situation within within the parameters of the character yeah but <laughs> because these aren't guys that are acting full time so it's a it's right. a it's a big ask to then dive in and do something really really intense and serious yeah that's a that's a great one. what about for somebody like it sounds like there's like really fun resources too and you've mentioned you know many um I, I love that. I guess there's not really a question for that. It's just I like that we're, we talked about it because then if anybody is thinking, oh, I, I don't have those resources, there's actually a whole community of mm. Star Trek fans who create content that you can 
use by reaching out and having those and starting those conversations. Like there's a set that exists. There's people who create, who love to create the artwork or, um, and those kinds of things. So I think like in my mind, I'd be like, oh, I could never do that. But then there's more resources if you just ask a few questions. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like what else did right. you reach for um, that you found in the community? Um, really, uh, it was it was more just, you know, look at, well, I, of course, actively looked for sound effects and, and L mm-hmm. displays because I absolutely needed those. Um, right. But the other things, I just I, I talked to a number of people who who had made films before. Um, but honestly, you don't even have to go into the fan community to find out a lot of things. Like they're like, you know, I'd never lit a green screen before. Uh, so, <laughs> but there there are YouTube videos that teach you how to do anything. Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, like I said, the uh, the uh, Final Cut Pro editor for the Mac is is magical and it's wonderful. And the only reason I was going to use the you know, Macintosh comes with the Mac OS comes with an editor, a mm-hmm. uh, video editor, which is a really good video editor. It does good green screen. What it doesn't do is have multiple video tracks. It only has mm. two. And I needed as many kind of as crucial. Uh-huh. <laughs> Actually, sometimes <Yeah>. six. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I couldn't do that. It would have taken me years to edit because yeah. I would have had to, you know, render out every shot and then layer that. Oh my goodness! Another shot and yeah. another and another. Um, so Final Cut Pro is the best three hundred bucks you can spend. That's awesome. And then, and then as far as music, I I used music pretty sparingly. Right. Uh, but what I did, uh, all a lot of Star Trek fan productions do this. They pull music from existing soundtracks, and I'm I am a soundtrack junkie. My my well, just I have have my. Uh, iTunes up right now. My sci-fi and fantasy film score playlist is fourteen hundred <laughs> songs long, three three point one days. So I've got I have got yep. uh, <laughs> and I have got, I have got dozens and dozens and dozens of start just Star Trek, um, yeah. you know, soundtracks. And I pulled that from a vo- I pulled music from a Voyager episode called Dark Frontier, which was a Borg mm. episode. I didn't want to use Best of Both Worlds music because it's really recognizable and in your it face. It is, yeah, really iconic. Yeah, and I, I just wanted something more subtle, but something that said Borg. <laughs> yeah, I it yeah. nailed it. Yeah, it absolutely gave me that impression for sure. Uh huh. Shall we go into the spoilers? Then? Yeah, let's head into some spoilers. Warning: Warp core collapse in ten seconds. Okay, let's just let's get straight to the end of it. You kill everyone. Why? Why did you do that? What <laughs> you you absolute bastard? Why did you kill everyone? <laughs> one of the one of the things that somebody in a film class asked me in when I was in college was, "Are you ever going to make a movie that doesn't have a gun in it?" And mm. we were making three minute films back then, and I was like, "Well, if I'm going to create a conflict, escalate a conflict, and end a conflict, there's no." faster and arguably lazier way to do it than with a gun <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean yeah i mean yeah. it's like ah oh, there's danger now i'm dealing with the danger bam somebody's dead end <laughs> yeah so yep. I, it certainly wasn't it certainly wasn't like that with 359 but i because you never saw any of these people before you never really heard much about what happened to people at 359 you 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 figured that most of them died. Yeah. And I, you were, you were saying Ian about how hard, you know, how it is to, you know, get a story into a 15 minute arc. 
And that was, you know, the the Borg, the situation brings them together, the Borg escalate the situation, and then there's no way that an escape pod's going to get away from the Borg. So no. <laughs> what's interesting is that you, it kind of, if you're thinking about it, and I only noticed this on the second watch through, is that it kind of, the beginning kind of gives away the ending because they mention that the Enterprise is on its way. And we know, having watched the best of both worlds, that the Enterprise doesn't rescue anybody. Like, there's no survivors. But I didn't make that connection. Like, yeah, of course they die, or the Enterprise ditched them. One of the two. <laughs> well, the Enterprise was in a hurry. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that going in. No, I was no, like, oh, but this I mean, is like, exciting. It's interesting for a fan to know that going in, like somebody who has watched those episodes. Yeah, that's... Was there any hesitation with that? Did were you were you tempted to kind of keep them alive, or were they they dead? They were dead from the start. They they, they were dead from the start. <laughs> so brutal. Yeah, yeah I, I when I gave the script to a, another writer friend of mine to to read, and I had given him the previous one, the one that I had written prior to three five nine. When he read three five nine, he's like, "Damn, Dave, you write some dark Star Trek." <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's, that's yeah. probably like Deep Space Nine best because I yes. like Star Trek. That's it. It explains I, in the I liked right. it. I didn't mm-hmm. expect it, but I li- I liked it. I liked that. I also liked that because it could be more than the Borg. As as a creative person, you could do any number of things, you know. I forgot that it was only going to be 15 minutes long for a second there. And I was thinking, oh, the possibilities are endless. Yeah, <laughs> no, they're not. You know, it, it could be, it could be a space anomaly. It could be that they're that I don't know. They got stuck in some space snot or something, and they're yeah. just you know like they're, they're a little bit distracted at the moment, and then they're all gonna figure it out, and they're gonna find something. They're gonna like what did I think was gonna happen in fifteen minutes? <laughs> they're gonna find a ship, unite yep. on an actual bridge, become a team, love, start a brand married. new Star Trek show. Like this is where my head was going, yeah. which. Yeah, it's even, when I knew that I was lower, having a good time. Even Lower Decks needs 22 minutes for that. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I love that I was in it and I was enjoying it. And I think that's a, a testament to the, the the way that it was set up. Because it was all of it working together that made me think that there was so much possibility. Mm. So then, you know, you can see the Borg thing at the end and you're like, I'm like, fuck. <laughs> well, well, shit. That makes and, sense. Then the, and then it comes in, you know resistance is futile or you'll be assimilated i can't remember what the what the word was because i was i was like well god damn it <laughs> <laughs> well shit and i i really like how did you come up or was it easy to come up with the idea of like the relay thing because it's a classic like the really fun thing for me about this the short film is that it's classic engineering gonna try and figure out a way to out engineer the borg and survive our way through this and the relay thing is really fun because each person is further out and they get picked off one by one until there's one <laughs> remaining. It's really clever and it's really dark as well. Like, did that come to you in a well, flash of inspiration? It, well, in addition to being a, a Star Trek fan, I'm a horror movie fan. So I, oh, that yeah, shows. Okay. Absolutely I got to shows. do a little of both with that. The best of both yes. worlds, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the uh, I like it. I, like it. I was like, well, the I like you said, the idea of you know just going out to maximum range and staying yeah. in contact, like in a relay, is is a very classic Star Trek solution to mm-hmm. something. And then you get to build the sus- yeah the suspense by <laughs> yeah. oh we lost contact with him oh we lost contact with him <laughs> yeah. yeah 
It's always the engineer that dies first as well. <laughs> Poor guy. He volunteered. There, I, I, that part where it's like, you know, you, you, you're you going to be able to go do that, right? And he's like, yeah, I got this. And like, wait, 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 why are you're the grumpy one you don't go out (laughs) i thought he might be the one that survives i kind of wondered i wondered if at the end he is like his suckers and then he just flies (laughs) off he just yeets himself away he actually lived he just turned it off yeah yeah Yeah. see i told you i didn't need you guys (laughs) it's actually interesting the uh I, i was i did a after i you know, after it was released, I did a series of blog posts on my on my site um, about the making of it, and you know, from mm-hmm. from the concept through the writing and everything. And I was looking back on old script drafts, and mo- like eighty five percent of the script is as you saw it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's from the post draft, but the thing that is radically different is that originally I didn't have any kind of friendly resolution for Chief Frazier. Mm. They get into an argument, oh. they get into the argument, and when Boyd comes back into the conversation, everybody is just pissed at each other. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> and Interesting. And when I was rereading it at, at, at some point when I was going through the different drafts, I was like, you know, I feel like we got to kind of give him a better arc. And and when I went back and read it, the other thing that I didn't remember was I had Boyd, who is the nice, she's the nicest person out there. If any, which is why she's the last one that goes, if anybody's going to survive, you want Ensign Boyd to survive. Yeah. yeah, yeah she, She's so sweet and so nice, which is 100% Sarah Johnson. That is just her personality on screen right there. Except not, <laughs> not quite as panicked all the time. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I had her character when when they when Frazier goes out to look for Margaret Bergen's pod and he go, and they lose touch with him. Well, they, uh, Weber's like, well, what 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 should we do now? And Zahn says, well, we we can't just leave him out there. And Boyd says, the hell you can't. Oh, <laughs> she's like, he, he brought the, he, he brought this on himself. Oh, my God. <laughs> that would be a shift. <laughs> yeah, that was. And, and that that. Changing that scene, I think, really made it a whole lot better. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can, I can see that being very tempting, but the restraint yeah. to stay true to the story has got to be really, really tricky. Yeah. Well, and also like the pacing of it too, because you've got the conflict of the looming mystery, and that's a conflict. So to have another conflict of character, mm. you really do want more time. I feel like to resolve that. So what a good idea to edit that down on instinct (laughs) like because that i don't know i really i was liking i was liking i felt like i was about to watch a brand new show of these different characters coming through and i'm not you know why because they're dead well they're not dead they probably lived a very long life with the borg (laughs) in the collective (laughs) they were probably still out there they're still out there yeah exactly (laughs) there might be some xps <laughs> that's amazing um any loose ends you want to tie up before um i have one question before we end would you do another one like mm. after going through the process and you know experiencing the highs and the lows and the editing and putting it all together and then you know being rewarded by your peers like would you do it again well i've got the, that original script that i wrote that's ready to shoot um, I've got at least three other ideas on the table in, in various stages. 
one of which is you're allowed under the fan film rules you're allowed to do a two-parter like two 15-minute episodes oh interesting okay oh okay and i have a really awesome outline for a star trek comedy musical now of course strange new world <laughs> because i dragged my feet long enough they beat you to the punch they beat me to the punch but this is way more comedy <laughs> nice i you love know, that a, a 30 essentially a 30 minute musical episode is going to take a month to shoot and it's going to yeah. you know it's going to require a lot of resources people that can sing crowdfunding and yeah well yeah well but luckily most of the people that were in my in 359 can sing so oh, amazing <laughs> But the, the thing the thing about this project was that I, I it had been so long since I had made a, a film and I remembered how that was always a happy place for me. I mean, the editing yeah. was intense, but I loved every second of it. I was. Oh, you know, that's so it's good. Kind, it's that kind of problem solving that I love to do and just seeing it come together one step at a time. And mm. um, it, it, it's so it's so cool. And, you know, I I would love to get back into that on a more regular basis. And I would love to make another Star Trek film. But if I you know, the, the biggest the biggest hurdle is if I have to crowdfund it, then that brings it under scrutiny. And then if you where mm-hmm. you choose to shoot it. Because some studios are in favor with one camp, yeah. some studios are in favor with the other camp, and it's like, well, if I choose one, then there's going to automatically be a bunch of people who are like, "Why are you choosing that place to shoot?" Right? Yeah. Interesting. It's amazing we get anything made because it's all mirrored by <laughs> Hollywood as well, obviously. Well, I'm glad to have these conversations because I think it's something to think about too. Because people who, as a as an out an outsider, kind of coming in and just observing such an intense fa- fandom like a, a fan space where there's such a love of the content and then a love of creating the content and that the people who own the content allow the fans to create content like in this little sort of sandbox um and then there's people that are like well the sandbox has to be defined this way or this way like i just think that it's nice to have a different perspective and kind of come in and go but what if not not that there weren't any rules but as fans to try to not be gatekeepers to creating fun things because it's just such a unique thing to look at because Star Trek's been around for so, so long. And I, all the conversations we've had with people on the show and it hasn't been like a ton of interviews, but everyone is so passionate about it and like really respectful of it and want it to keep going and they want to introduce more people to it. And when that can inspire new stories and, you know, new creative outlets and stuff, it's just, it's a really special thing to watch mm. and to, to like, I don't know, observe. And I hope that at the very least bringing that particular part up, even though it's more of a harder part to talk about, it just kind of reminds even the people who are listening to this show to kind of be aware that your conversations that you have, you can have opinions obviously, and you can even want things in a specific way, but if you start to apply like rules and demands and it, it can, it can suddenly turn something that's really beautiful into something that's really dark and turn away that creativity and dissuade really talented people from creating something that would be really fun for everybody to watch. So yeah, it's, uh, it's one of the reasons why I, I don't know <laughs> our jobs kind of have us being snarky assholes, but we're not. And we want to see the content. We want to see those things come out. Yeah. And it, it's, yeah, but I can't, 
Yeah, like, I, like I've said, I, I can't understand where all of it comes from because it, at the heart of it, and when I when I first heard about it, and it, and it actually goes back to even to when Star Trek Continues was around because there were a couple of big production, Star Trek productions, and there's Star Trek Continues and there's Star Trek Phase 2, which was filmed up in New York. Mm. Um, and I think there was one, uh, well, Farragut was before Continues. But... Um, the, there was still there was a little bit of well you know those guys aren't aren't great to work with and they're they're it was they're actually star star trek stars and writers who were taking sides like all oh, these yeah. guys are good but we don't like these guys <laughs> crazy it's, isn't it? it's a lot of personalities involved i guess but for me it, it it's just the you know i i love star trek i want to tell a star trek story and i love filmmaking mm -hmm. so it was a way to yeah. it was a way to make my my own star trek story and it's and put just a tiny little stamp on it yeah absolutely yeah needless to say we definitely recommend you go and watch this uh, amazing short film um where can people find it sir um you can uh you can find it on either on youtube or on my website which is ellisstudios359.com that's e-l-e-l-i-s studios 359 it's amazing it will not be a 14 minutes and 40 seconds you regret spending i can i can guarantee that and there's of course <laughs> the outtakes and the uh you know things like that on there too which i didn't get to watch before the show oh, and so i'm really looking forward to those so, in a previous life, you wrote and designed some video games. Um, most notably for the in the Star Trek universe, Star Trek Klingon Honor Card. Now, until you messaged me about it, there have been a dearth of Star Trek games that came out kind of in the 90s and noughts. Um, we're kind of in a bit of a drought at the minute. How did that come about? And um, just how fun was that? Well, we talked about stumbling into things. I stumbled into the video game industry because I was working a really boring government job in Washington, D.C. I used to live up in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, I was looking for a new job and I saw Microprose Software had, was advertising for a software tester, a game tester. Or actually, mm. no, I'm sorry. Uh, they, uh, Microprose was advertising for a customer service rep. And I had sold computers and computer games, and I played video games all the time. I liked Microprose's games, and I was like, well, it's a lot closer than Washington, and it sounds more fun than what I'm doing, so I'll do that for a while until I figure out what I want to do. So I ended up starting in customer service, then going into testing, and then going into game design from there. Um, it, 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 was, it was a time when you could get in on the ground floor of a video mm -hmm. game Pick and actually yeah. learn the business from the inside. It's hard to do yeah. because, like, you know, all your customer service and testing are usually done by, you know, they're outsourced. So mm -hmm. that's usually not under the same roof like it used to be. But at any rate, when um, this was, you know, back when the first Quake game mm. came out, Quake oh, wow. 1, and it was, uh, you know, that was when the 3D shooters were becoming really big for yeah. the first time and thank you doom we had one of the first <laughs> quake licenses oh awesome. uh, uh to do a game with the quake engine and uh we also had uh at that time spectrum holobyte was our was part of our company and they were in california they were doing a star trek generations video oh it's that's one of my favorites it's <laughs> so good yeah better than the movie 
Um, <laughs> I might fight you on that, but it's very good. Okay, well, but um, they, we already had a relationship with Paramount, so we decided we were going to do a Star Trek game, and we were talking about how to do a Star Trek shooter. And I was, for some reason, they're like, "Hey, Dave, you really need to join this conversation because that's we, awesome." Brainstorming Star Trek games, and I'm like, "Well, if you were going to do a shooter, it really doesn't." Well, Elite Force Voyager, Elite Force did it well eventually. But I was like, it's really not a Starfleet kind of thing to run yeah. around and shoot people as the main thing that you do. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of but, but it's kind Gene of Gene vision. It's kind of a Klingon thing. So uh-huh. what if we made it a Klingon game? And we pitched it to Paramount and they and they liked it. So I, I wasn't officially assigned to that game. I had uh, Chris Clark was the game designer on that. His and he he and I sat down and hashed out the story. Um and uh we yeah once the story was done they're like well dave you you get to write the script (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome oh right star trek yes i'll do i can do that thank you (laughs) actually one of one of the the biggest compliments i ever got um from a from a uh publisher was uh from our paramount producer who said whoever you've got writing the script really knows how to write star trek that's awesome what was really what was really funny was i called my mom after i got you know assigned this and i was like remember back when i was in high school and you said if if you studied as much as you watch star trek you would (laughs) (laughs) you would really go places and i'm like well i am getting paid to write star trek now (laughs) that shows you mom i knew this would pay off I love it when a plan That's comes amazing. That's <laughs> oh, brilliant. So, so yeah, I got to write the script for that, and it was it was in the old days of, of shooters where you had where the format was you get a briefing before the level that shows you the map and tells mm. you the objectives, and then you go into the level and you do your thing and you complete the objectives, and then you get a briefing for the next level. So originally we were going to have um, Michael Dorn do the mm. uh, briefings as Worf. Oh. Um, he, because they were doing the Generations game, um, he thought that his agent, I don't think it was actually him, I think it was his agent, thought that he's like, well, Michael is the most important Klingon in Star Trek, so he should get paid the sum total of what all the actors got paid on Generations. Uh, oh, my goodness. And right. we were like, we're going to call Tony Todd. <laughs> Worf's brother. Worf's brother, Kern. <laughs> so I got to work with Tony Todd. But you're talking about Candyman here. Like Tony Todd is a is still a big get for a video game. Well, he was great, and yeah, it was actually his very first video game. And I found that out when I met him at a convention about five years ago. That's and I awesome. brought Kling. I, I was like, you probably don't even know, but I was the writer on Star Trek Klingon Honor Guard. And he's like, oh my God, that's the first video game I ever did voiceover for. That's so like, fun. First, and I was like, it's the first video game I ever did the writing for. He's like, so he's like, oh, we got to take a selfie together. And then he signed. Oh, that's fun. Oh, that's Honor amazing. Guard. So, so yeah, he was in it. Um, we had Robert O'Reilly as Gowron. Um, mm-hmm. and we had, uh, the uh the um duras sisters as well mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's I, incredible oh, that's yeah. all of the big klingons other than Worf are basically yeah, in this exactly. game yeah exactly and it was uh it was really cool and uh we had our uh when we released the game we had our release party at the star trek experience in las vegas mm. uh, where that we had the place to ourselves for like three hours 
Oh, we had Old Forks Bar and we had the ride and everything was free oh. and we could do everything that we, you know, that was that, that and that would have been the most awesome Star Trek geek experience in the world if it hadn't been for the fact that I knew that the uh, our, our internal producers uh, or two producers, the game designer and I had planned a trip after the party in Las Vegas. We we added on a few days to the trip, drove to Los Angeles and got the tour of the Deep Space Nine and Voyager sets. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, that's so yeah, fun. Yeah, that's so I fun. I in the captain's chair of the Defiant. Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> and Michael Dawn's bottom has touched that. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they wouldn't let us take any pictures on the tour. Oh, that makes oh, sense. Man. But, yeah, yeah. but they did let... They did let one slip in because there was nobody around when we were in the Voyager transporter room. It's like, okay, there's nobody here. If you if you guys want to get up on the transporter platform, I'll shoot a quick picture. Oh, that's so, amazing. I do have a picture of me in the Voyager transporter. That's fun. Because oh, Voyager would have so still been on the air at that point. Yeah, it was uh during it was season seven of Deep Space Nine. So Voyager right, yeah. was only like in season three at that point. Yeah, right in the middle of it. That's awesome. Oh you How managed to fun. take off the original series, Bridge. Voyager, Deep Space Nine. You're only missing the Enterprise D. Yeah, yeah. Well, they actually they said, um, "Man, it's too bad you weren't out here like a month or so ago because we had all the first contact sets." Up. Oh, of course. Oh. <laughs> and oh, they goodness. just struck those sets a couple weeks ago. Oh, you're like, well. okay, let me give you my phone number next time. Call me. Yeah, don't you let me <laughs> miss I, out. I need directions to your dumpster, please. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Isn't that a little bit wild? I remember. Uh, have a friend well now you know our bosses they like worked at like the uh, the movie theaters and um but i had a friend who called me and after movie theater would finish up wrapping airing a movie they would just take all the stuff down out of the theater and just put it in the dumpster and there's just yep. these incredible memorabilia and at one point i i gave it away i tried to give it to aaron um but it was too large it was a insanely gigantic tarp from Incredibles, so it had the big Incredibles logo on it. But like, you can't put it anywhere <laughs> unless you own a building or something. Then, yeah. Unless you're meant to make a statement to your neighbors, and that's just the decor on the side of your home. I think it he was would. So big. I think Aaron would make that statement. I'm amazed he didn't take it. Yeah, my my, base, it, my no. basement is big enough for things like that. Um, that's I fun. actually I, one of the the first game that I was the lead designer on was a game called XCOM Interceptor. It was like the fourth game in the XCOM series mm -hmm. that Michael Crows had done. And we had a big display from um, from E3, the, the big game conference every year. And we had like a wall-sized display for XCOM Interceptor. And we had it in our office after E3. And when we were, when they shut our studio down, when they laid us all off, mm. um, I was like, I'm taking that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and it, was, it was like I said, I had no idea where I was going to put it, but uh -huh. I got it and then I'll figure it out. Amazing. So it is actually, it is literally a wall in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Amazing. Just the entire, the entire wall. Yeah. It's, it's about 12 feet long. <laughs> Speaking of your basement, that brings us quite nicely onto your, your last passion that we're going to talk about, which is the arcade machines. Now, you have a beautiful selection of Star Trek pinball machines, and you basically have an arcade in your basement, correct? I do. Um, That's amazing. I, I started collecting the games uh, 
I, well, I didn't know that you could actually own a coin op game until the nineties, the late nineties. Um, I, I grew up in arcade. Well, I didn't grow up in arcades. I was, um, in high school when the arcades were big in the early eighties. And, um, I loved video games and I never thought I could own an actual arcade video game until one of the artists that I worked with at Microprose, he was moving to California and he said, I have a video game and it's the Star Trek, the, the Sega Star Trek game. It's a, a vector <laughs> graphics Star Trek game. Sega. It came out in 82. Um, and he's like, I, do you want it? And I bought it from him. And that was my first game. And oh, then when, when I had to look things up to repair that game, cause you have to repair very old video games and pinball machines. You have mm. to, know how to repair them, uh, if you're going to own them. And I found out that there's a huge community of people who collected them. And at the time in the nineties, video games were dirt cheap. I mean, arcade video games, nobody wanted them. There were warehouses wow. full of them that people didn't want. And there was an auction that is still held uh, about about an hour and a half from where I am in North Carolina, in Winston-Salem, and they sell they auction off video games. So at one point, I had 15 arcade video games, um, wow. including that original Star Trek, but I also had uh, Dragon's Lair, if you remember Dragon's Lair. Mm-hmm. Uh, that... Um, I had, a, I had a ton of them, Centipede. And then I had I bought a pinball machine, an Adams Family pinball machine, about eight, 19 years ago now. And uh, I started getting more into pinball than, than I was into mm. video games. So eventually I sold off all the video games and started collecting pinball machines instead. Oh, that's and, fun. And right, right before the pandemic, I got the Star Trek Next Generation pinball machine. That was the, the first one, first of the Star Treks that I got. And it's a really cool. It's a really cool game. It's pain really the, fun. Pain in the ass to maintain, but oh, really, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, there's a lot of moving parts in that one. Well, it's not even the moving parts in that one. They just overthought the electronics in that one. They've got oh, a. No. It's got a lot of LED based switches that are just such optical switches are so pain they're such a pain they get dirty or then the whole thing doesn't work oh no but i got that and then i got the one that was based on the jj abrams films that was the stern star trek came out in 2013 i got that second then i got the 1979 bally star trek which was the first star trek pinball machine that came out wow and then finally just this past year i got the uh 25th anniversary uh data east Star Trek. Oh, so I've well, got them lined up in chronological order in my basement now. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I am sure that would make the Commodore very, very, very jealous. And you may find that he's in the neighborhood at some point and knocking upon your door. <laughs> <laughs> Let him in. He's 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 docile. He'll he's fine. He's oh, yeah, he, you'll no lose threat him to anyone. Yeah, you won't know that he's there. <laughs> um well you've been extremely generous with your time. Before we wrap up, this is something we've we've done with guests in the past. We're gonna have a rapid fire, no pressure. First instinct that comes to your head, ten questions, just a choice between one or the other, and you're gonna be put on the spot and have to make a very quick decision. Are you ready, sir? Let's do it. Okay. TOS or TNG? TOS. Earl Grey or Ractogeno? Ractogeno. Jane Wheel Boimler. Boimler. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real dick question. Uh, oh my god. Gach or Hasperat? Hasperat. Mmm. Quarks bar or ten forward? Quarks bar. 
Spock, Ooh. Spock, or Spock? Nimoy, Quinto, or Peck? <laughs> Spock, Spock, or Spock? Yep. <laughs> I, ha- I have to go with Spock 1, just because Nimoy's the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kirk, Kirk, or Kirk? Uh, Shatner, Pike, or Wesley? <laughs> Pine, uh, not Pike. I'll, I'll go Shatner. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I'm with you. Um, Vulcans or Romulans? Vulcans. Shuttle or transporter? Transporter, but only if somebody else has used it first. <laughs> yes, good answer. Um, final question. Will there be a follow-up to 359 explaining what happens next for the main characters? <laughs> um, the, the, in the sequel to 359, there, it, it takes place in season one of Picard and they're all XBs on the artifact. Oh, they get, to they get to meet again. <laughs> Amazing. That's I love best. it. That's great. Well, thank you very much for um spending a good amount of your oh, yeah, um your thank you so much. Us. That was so much fun. Where can people find you on the internet, your projects online, um, where can people harass you? Well, the uh well the film project again is at LSstudios359.com. You can also find my arcade obsession at davesclassicarcade.com amazing well anything else ambassador before we we beam dave off somewhere uh what episode of star trek would you recommend for me uh you mentioned writing 11 pages i don't need 11 pages (laughs) but off the top of your head if you if you were gonna have me watch something uh, what would it be something you haven't already seen hopefully Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's okay if i have it's more of a per. This is a personality quiz question. <laughs> yes. Um, what would a ditzy person yes. watch? <laughs> <laughs> That'll make sense in the outtakes, everyone. I, I would say the uh, the trouble with tribbles. <gasps> I've that, never seen that I one. That, I think that is a wonderful. And oh, that's great! Universally good entry point to TOS for people because yeah. it, it it it's. Enough typical Star Trek, enough original Star Trek that you get the gist of what original Star Trek is like, but it's not an episode that takes itself too seriously mm-hmm. or gets too unintentionally silly. Oh, <laughs> so, and I a love nice, that. Li- nice little mystery in there as well. I think we'll we'll add that pretty high to the to the list of episodes. I think that's a and good then, way to dive into TOS. And, and they immediately follow it with trials and tribulations from Deep, Deep Space, Space Nine. Nine. Yeah, absolutely. Tribulations that's, is that, that really is, an episode? Okay, it's, I'm ready. it's an extremely clever episode. So yeah, I think oh. that's, a, that's a great idea. Well, okay. Thank you for joining us, Dave. Thank you <laughs> at home for joining us and listening to us. Um, in theory, this comes out at around like kind of Thanksgiving or Christmas. So happy holidays, everybody. And if you're actually listening to this in October, whoops. Um, But until (laughs) next week, live long and podsper. (laughs) That's amazing. Thanks for listening. Want to connect with the show? Our hailing frequencies are always open through captainspod at cinemasins.com. Like, comment, and subscribe on your podcast player of choice, and be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Denise Crosby was saying, uh, I, I just got her autograph a few weeks ago, and she was saying that I was lucky that I got Patrick Stewart's because he's probably not going to be doing many conventions anymore. Yeah, I never got chance to 
get to a convention that that he went to, and he 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 rarely does them. They're very few and far between. Yeah, he's a, he's a delightful guy, and Avery Brooks is even more reclusive. Yeah, I luckily did meet him at a convention in England um, when I was, I think, sixteen. So, like seventeen years ago, and he was he was just like a hippie. He just like. <laughs> arrived super <laughs> chilled out the most colorful like african gown that you've ever seen and he was just like super chilled it was he's such a character yeah, I, I i met him at dragon con um probably whew, uh, six years ago or more oh awesome. and uh, there's a lot of deep space nine people at that dragon con and when i went up to his table his autograph table it was near the end of the day and he was just packing up the leave and i was like oh i'm sorry i missed you he's like i'll be back tomorrow baby <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> captain cisco called you baby <laughs> but uh trip and my my i'm blanking on the actor's name but he i met him at comic-con like the year after uh enterprise went off the air mm -hmm. and i was talking to him about the the finale and how i was i was so yeah i was, I was like i'm I'm, pi I'm pissed that your character got killed but i'm also kind of, you guys can't be happy that that was your that that your series finale was a holodeck episode uh -huh. of another show of another tv show yeah but he was, were... he was like yeah i i just we just consider uh you know terra prime to be our finale uh, why wouldn't it be like <laughs> what a great way to end the series oh i'm like man season five of enterprise would have been really special yeah they were just getting it right in season four let's beam in the ambassador hello <laughs> but where's my sound effect oh um you've got the soundboard i don't actually no aaron, I actually don't. aaron has the soundboard no. needless now that he's off the ship, we don't yeah. have any special effects. He was he was the man. So it's we need we need to have a sound effect, a beaming effect. Hang on, how are we gonna do that? Lots of typing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I like it. When I was working on the Klingon Honor Guard game, and we had to we got to talk to Michael and Denise Okuda. Oh, I had oh, I had them oh, on speed dial. Oh my! Heart. And I remember one time we called them. The game designer Chris and I called them uh, because we were designing another. We were proposing another game that was mm. going to be a defiant, a USS Defiant space flight sim kind of. Game. <laughs> that would have been incredible. Oh. Uh, but but we were like, well, uh, we said to Michael Akuda, where where do the disruptors come out on a on a Romulan warbird? And he, mm. his answer was wherever the writers need them to. <laughs> Maybe they're like something that you can move. You know, it's like a little... <laughs> that would be very Romulan, that they actually just, move around the You can ship. just like shift them around. Just, yep. it's, a mod, it's a modular ship build, so you, you can put them wherever you need them. Maybe um, that's perfect. how they work. Yeah, it's gotta be it. Target weapons. I don't know where they are today. <laughs> yeah, they moved. <laughs> they moved. And then we're going to sin 359 in front of you and make it really, really awkward. No, we're not really. What? We're not going to no, no, do that. We're not sinning it. Are you fucking it. kidding me? You know, coming into, yeah, I, I almost asked you that ahead of time because I, I would, I'm like, yeah, big, big fan of the Cinnamon Sins family of products. Um, <laughs> yes. And, and Ian, I'm like, you're I'm such like, a dick. I'm like equal part. I'm like equal parts. You kind of want like, it. Oh, you kind of like, do. Man, man, that scares the crap out of me, but. <laughs> You know, that'd be cool shit. <laughs> well, before we get 
into it. Danae, you had you had so this is part of the problem with Danae and I's friendship, is that we can't actually talk about things until we get to the show. We have so many problems. Let's so just many be problems. honest. In fact, Dave, today you're gonna be playing counselor. Oh you've you've got the plaque ready. Oh look! You, you got the plaque, the plaque ready to go. Perfect. Well, okay, so I had something happen and I'm I'm excited to have a guest here to to I, I, your opinion on this is important, I'm pretty sure. So uh, I hired a professional cleaner to come to the house. I have family coming into town, and I'm like, I need help. There's a lot going on. And so I went on to Angie, the website, which used to be Angie's List, where you can just essentially put out the beacon, whatever beacon you want. If you want electric help, you want a handyman, you want a cleaner, you just the beacon goes in the sky and like Batman, you start getting quotes. They're, they just show up at your door if you want them to. And so in comes this brand new person into my life. Uh, she called and I I said her quote was fine. So she came over to the house and cleaned and was really helpful and everything. And then we're sitting down at the end of her session. She'd been at the house for six hours, maybe, which I didn't think it was going to. I thought she was going to be there for like three, but she was very thorough. Uh, we also had an issue with the oven door that she took off. And we couldn't figure out how to get back on. Oh, that's, no. That's, so a, that was... that's a Chief O'Brien problem. He's taken something apart <laughs> and can't put it back together. We had to engineer that stuff. It was um, There was a moment there, I think she and I were both looking at each other like, I think you're going to be buying me a new stove, right? <laughs> we got it figured out. Oh, no. My daughter is home, so she's seeing me parent. You know, We're playing games in the living room while she's doing stuff in the bathroom like she's she's getting to observe my life and at the end we're sitting down and we're uh you know squaring away i'm getting her paid up and she's talking about like recommendations to come visit again she's wanting to get on the books you know of course of course she wants to get in on the books and iris my daughter she walks in and she says something about having to go to the bathroom um and i was like you, then you should probably go do it she's like i just don't really want to so now i'm, now I'm having a parenting conversation mm-hmm. and then i talk about non-negotiables and like this is one you really don't want to there's really no negotiation with your body it's telling you to do something you need to go do it it will happen and, on your terms or on its terms right and we don't want the second yeah um and she's like okay fine and she just dramatically sort of like walks off and this complete stranger six hours not stranger this professional stranger. person, still stranger. She's like, she goes, she's she is just great, isn't? You know, kids are like that. You know, um, she, kids do this. So now she's a professional child person too. And I, mm-hmm. I don't. People give me kid their per- opinion on kid stuff. I, that doesn't bother me too much. Uh, and then she says, um, she's a lot like you. You know, like how she's just walking around and so blonde and so ditzy. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! All hands, chip. I'm having flashbacks to this Dr. Seuss quote that came yeah. up a couple weeks ago where I'm like, what is it about me suddenly attracting highly inappropriate commentary? Yeah. You're a great ditz for the ditz that you are. <laughs> you're a great like, shape for the shape that you're in. You're a ditz. You're a ditz. I'm a ditz. You're in great shape for the shape that you're in. Yeah. Right. You're a great ditz. As far as ditzes go, you're a great version of the ditz that you are. So I have two two things happening at once, like a computer that's doing a lot at once. Like I'm like, the loop. fuck did you just say to me? The fuck did you just say to my kid? That was one. Yeah, because she called she called Iris a ditz as well. She sure did. Oh no. But 
but I maintain my conversational grin. Instead of putting her head through the oven. And I say, oh, oh, interesting. Um, and then I look at her and I'm trying to Deanna Troy read her mind. Yeah. Like, does this mean something else to you? Does dits yes. mean friendly? Like, does that mean something else to you, my friend? Yeah. I I said, I thanks, I I think. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, you know. And so she starts to indicate with hands and voice that she meant something different. And I said, did you mean expressive and exuberant? And she's no. like, yeah, that's what I that's meant. That's what I meant. No, no, no. I meant Barbie doll. <laughs> I meant dits. She essentially took a look at me, took a look at my life, took a look at my blonde kid and immediately puts that put us in the dits category, wow. which was alarming. We had been playing like games and laughing and making jokes. And we were and she even had a comment about that. Like, I really see a lot of myself in you, she tells me after this, which is interesting because mm-hmm. um, now she's kind of like trying to relate maybe. And she says, you know, like how confident you are to just laugh in front of other people so mm-hmm. now i'm like what kind of a life do you come from where you're uncomfortable laughing in front of people yeah. and then i had a decision to make like do i rebook with her and the answer is of course yes i have to know more about this crazy person that called me a ditz so boldly in my house like i need to know more about <laughs> in your her. kitchen in my in my yeah in my sacred space so you're going to continue to have a working relationship with her so yeah. that 10 years from now, you can say, hey, remember when you called me a dis 10 <laughs> years ago? What the fuck was up with that? I kind of feel like I'm playing with my food a bit. Like, yeah. <laughs> she thinks that I'm 20-something. I don't know who she thinks I am, but she doesn't know that I am professional, mature, older than her, have life experience, have busted my ass, and the place that I live is because of all of my circle. Like, I think she thinks that I'm, she obviously thinks I'm somebody very, very different than I am. So I felt like, wow. I felt, this is going to say a lot about me. I felt like Scar in The mm-hmm. Lion King. Mm-hmm. Okay, so open opening scene of seeing Scar, right? He's playing with a little mouse before he eats it i kind of after thinking about it shifted so as she's rebooking with me or whatever i'm like i I felt like i was just playing with my food a bit like yeah mm-hmm. i want you to come back i'm really curious see what how you this think works of me. out for you and see I mean, how this goes she's known you for six hours now if, if that's not enough <laughs> to make an assessment i don't know what i what is I think I think you only have to worry if when you do rebook her and she comes back and she has now dyed her hair to look like you. <laughs> and, and it's a whole single white female thing. Yep. Then, yes. then you got to yes. worry about it. I mean, it's like, I know you so well. I see a lot of myself in you. She, she turns up with a child so that looks just like Iris. <laughs> This isn't my job. So, so in conclusion, maybe maybe you don't want me to be your counselor. <laughs> <laughs>